Maybe it does that. Yakumru Tobohoite Menena Mohili Sredstepu Shiroko Nakraini Mili Shiopani Shiroko Poli Idni Pro i Kruci Buloidno Bulochutu Yakrevere Muchi Shiopani Shiroko Poli Idni broi kruci, bulo jedno, bulo čuti, jak revere uči. Jak ponese z Ukrajiny, usynieje more, krovorožu otojtije, i lany i hory, se pokynu i polynu do samoho. Dimitro Bohush with Zapovit, which translates as My Testament, and that is a poem by Taras Shevchenko. And yes, it is unfortunate we are pretty much all consumed with the news of the war in Ukraine, but I thought it fitting to start this program with a little bit of a tribute to Ukraine's National Bard, since in March that is normally what we do every year. So again, that was Zapovit, My Testament by Taras Shevchenko, put to music by Dmitro Bohush. Dobri vecher i vitaju vas vsih, dorehi radio slukači, na radio programu Naš Holos, radio Krinskoho Korinja, kotra podjeci vam, na bahatomovni radio stanci AM 1320 CHMB, umisti mikrofoni, Pavlina. Hello there and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio coming to you on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver. I'm your host Paulina. Thank you for joining me. On today's program we have a book review about the struggles of the Ukrainian language as well a feature interview with Amy Greenfield, who is the curator of the Nanaimo Museum, and she'll be telling us about an exhibit currently showing there until May about Nanaimo's role in the World War I internment operations. As well, a little more uh, spotlight on Shevchenko with a biography of the Bard, courtesy the Ukraine Institute of London. As well, we've got our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and of course, great Ukrainian music. And we're going to continue with the Tarashevchenko theme. Here we are with Quartet, or Quintet, Alleluia, and Sadok Vishnevi Kolochate, all about a cherry orchard near the house. Sadok Vishnevi Kolochate, Hrushinad Vishnami Udud. Плугатарі з плугами йдуть, співаючи йду дівчата, а матері вечеря ждуть. Сім 
Дня вечеря коло хати, Вечірня зіронька встає, Дочка вечерять подає. А мати хоче навчати, Так соловейко не дає. Поклала мати коло хати, Маленький діточок своїх Сама заснула коло них Затихло все, тільки дівчата Та соловейко Не затих Early Bird Weekend Passes for Canada's National Ukrainian Festival 2022 are now available for only $110. Don't miss the very best in Ukrainian culture, food, music, and dancing on August Long Weekend in Dauphin, Manitoba. Visit Canada's National Ukrainian Festival on Facebook for featured entertainment. For only $110, Early Bird Weekend Passes are now available for Canada's National Ukrainian Festival 2022 in Dauphin, Manitoba. By phone at 204-622-4600 or online at cnuf.ca. Thanks to the foresight and generosity of its donors, the Shevchenko Foundation has been investing in the future of the Ukrainian-Canadian community for over 50 years. Since 1963, the Shevchenko Foundation has been funding initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our Ukrainian-Canadian cultural heritage. These include fine and performing arts and arts groups, museums, cultural centers, education, as well as authors, journalists, and the Ukrainian-Canadian media, including this program. The Foundation strives to become the premier not-for-profit foundation in a Canada which acknowledges the Ukrainian-Canadian community as a fundamental component of Canadian society. Nash Hollis listeners are encouraged to support this vision through continued donations into the future. To apply for grants, make a donation, or for more information, visit shochenkofoundation.com. Ukraine is under deadly attack, and Ukraine War Amps is asking for your help with a tax-deductible donation today. Funds are desperately needed by Ukrainian defenders for bulletproof jackets, helmets, walkie-talkies, food, water and gas, and by civilians, including children, for food, water and medications, and when possible, escape to safety. Please donate today to Ukraine War Amps via PayPal, e-transfer to ukrainewaramps at gmail.com, or visit ukrainewaramps.ca. Есть на свете доля, кто ее знает. Есть на свете воля, кто ее мает. Есть люди на свете с риблом златом сяют, сдаются, пануют, а доли не знают. Зміць срібло злато, та будьте багаті, а я візьму сльози, лихо виливати, затоплюни долю дрібними сльозами, затопчу неволю, восими ногами, тоді я веселий, тоді я багатий, як буде серденько, по волі гулянти. Доля, кто ее знает, есть на свете воля, кто ее мает, есть люди на свете с риблом златом сяют, сдаются, панують, поле не мают, ни доли, ни воли, с нудьою, та с горем жупан надевают, плакаты сором.
Лечит совы спать деброва зирунки Сияют по над шляхом Ширятся юховражки Гуляют, спочивают Добрые люди, еще кофту мыло Кого счастья, кого Санечка покрыла
And two of Taras Shevchenko's poems put to music, or songs containing Taras Shevchenko's poetry, however you want to look at it. The first song was by Tarasova Nietzsche, a Ukrainian group, and that was Jest na sviti dolya. And uh, yes, there is such a thing as fate or destiny. And uh, this second one was by Fata Morgana from uh, the United States, and that was Bandureste Orolesezi, uh, but uh, Bandurist and a silver eagle, a gray eagle, a silver eagle, uh, at any rate, um, from Taras's uh, time in the 19th century to our time now, of course, the eagle, uh, the symbolism of that. Great Eagle has turned from, or has turned from a bird into aircraft, and timely in a very unfortunate way. Coming up next, the serf who founded a nation: How Tarashevchenko went from being a serf to becoming Ukraine's most important poet, giving a voice to the Ukrainian people. And this is narrated by Dr. Rory Finnan a university senior lecturer in Ukrainian studies at the University of Cambridge. Every group, every society needs heroes. We need figures who uh, warn us away from cynicism. And the danger with heroes is that we reduce them to one message or one event we need to release Shevchenko from that. This portrait behind me of um, the African-American um, actor Ira Aldridge. Shevchenko was a great admirer of the actor. He painted Ira on the fly in a kind of impromptu setting, having seen Ira Aldridge perform Lear in St. Petersburg at Marinsky Theater in 1858. Aldridge sits down, he is squirming and laughing, driving Shevchenko absolutely crazy. Shevchenko keeps very sternly asking him to uh, stay still. He's using his interpreter to convey the message. Aldridge will not comply. At one point he asks if he can sing, and then he gets up and starts singing and dancing around the room. Shevchenko is so invested in his portrait um, that he doesn't take to this quite well straight away. But within minutes, up he springs, uh, dancing himself, singing Ukrainian uh, folk songs with Aldridge. And what I love about this episode is immediately it brings us away from this figure that we see ossified on granite pedestals on statues around the world. And we have a portrait of the artist himself. And this vibrant individual is brought to life in that kind of episode. And Aldridge draws it out of Shevchenko. Shevchenko was born a slave, born a serf, um, the property of another individual and who at the age of 24 um, is freed from bondage. The owner was named Pavel Engelhardt. So Engelhardt uh, was, was used to taking advantage of, of Shevchenko's gifts as an artist, and he could see the interest that these other artists in Petersburg um, had towards Shevchenko, um, so asked a princely sum in return. So what these artists um, did was organize a, a, an auction and use the proceeds from that auction to free uh, this 24-year-old artist. Shevchenko has had such a personal, intimate knowledge and exposure to systemic oppression. In the middle of the 1840s, he returns to Ukraine as a member of an archaeographic commission to draw the various sites in the Ukrainian lands of archaeographical uh, interest. And when he returns to Ukraine, he sees a place that has uh, been left to rot, in his view. And this is when he writes some of his most, let's say, politically radioactive poetry. Um, this poetry was not meant for publication, but around this time he joins something called the Cyril and Methodian Brotherhood, the group of individuals who believe very much in the ideals of freedom, who believe in the uh, liberation of the serfs, the education of the peasantry. He is arrested after um, a certain Petrov was listening through the wall at what these members of the Cyril Methodian Brotherhood were saying. Around the time of his arrest, he begins to write highly confessional lyric poems. So Shevchenko encourages us as readers to reorient ourselves to language entirely. Shevchenko actually employs repetition. 
in such a, a audacious way that he seizes on the word znovu again in a poem that he's writing at a time when he's encountering years of exile, years of punishment for writing poetry in the first place. And he writes this, Anumo znovu viršuvat zvečajne niškom. Anumo znovu, poki novinko na osnovi, starinko božo licivat. A sirič, jak bi vam skazat, šob ne zbrkavši, a znomu znovu, ludej i dolju proklinat. This use of znovu over and over again, his conversational tone. In a poem you really feel like he's speaking to you, that he's calling you aside, specifically you, and confessing something deeply personal to himself. It comes so organically to Shevchenko that it produces this intimacy that frankly sometimes feels uncomfortable when you're a reader. These texts reveal a openly broken individual who sometimes speaks of a very violent past and present, who saw a lot of suffering, who saw a lot of violence himself. But for me, I think the, the, the poetry that, that can give us um, moments of contemplation, particularly now in this world we live in, are these more lyrical poems that bravely expose an individual with complex ideas, contradictory thoughts, and is content to let those contradictions exist and flourish. There's a very sad irony that Shevchenko died um, effectively only weeks before serfdom was abolished in um, the Russian Empire in 1861. But the refrain, I think, that um, most typifies Shevchenko's own attitude to this failure of the present is that is, things have passed, things have transpired, but not all is lost, it's not all gone. There are new people coming to renew the promise of the past for the purpose of the future. And that keeps coursing through Ukrainian society, and if it does, I think in terms of civil society in particular, it will remain robust, healthy, and vibrant. The Surf Who Founded a Nation, narrated by Dr. Rory Finnan, University Senior Lecturer in Ukrainian Studies at the University of Cambridge. This came to us courtesy the Ukrainian Institute London and YouTube. Up next, from Edmonton, Trubka, from their album Pochatke, Beginnings, and Dumemoyi, My Thoughts, and that is one of Tarashevchenko's most memorable Poems put to music.
This is CHMB AM 1320, Vancouver. Early bird weekend passes for Canada's National Ukrainian Festival 2022 are now available for only $110. Don't miss the very best in Ukrainian culture, food, music, and dancing on August long weekend in Dauphin, Manitoba. Visit Canada's National Ukrainian Festival on Facebook for featured entertainment. For only $110, early bird weekend passes are now available for Canada's National Ukrainian Festival 2022 in Dauphin, Manitoba. By phone at 204-622-4600 or online at cnuf.ca. On the line with me now is Amy Greenaway, curator of the Nanaimo Museum, and uh, she's here to tell us about an exhibit uh, that is currently showing there, uh, which might be of great interest to our listeners. Uh, During the First World War, Canada interned 8,579 men identified as enemy aliens, including mostly Ukrainian and German immigrants, and these included families in some uh, cases. This was a network of 24 camps across Canada. This latest special exhibition from the Canadian War Museum is called Enemy Aliens Internment in Canada, 1914 to 1920. It explores the internment operations and the experiences of the internees. So Amy is here to tell us a little bit more about the, uh, the exhibit. So welcome, Amy. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Thank you. Now, this exhibit um, started in February, and it's here for a little while, so people still have time to check it out. What are they going to find when they come to the Nanaimo Museum? The exhibit, as you mentioned, is about the experiences of people who were deemed enemy aliens during the First World War and were interned. About 70% of those people were Ukrainian, and there were also people um, who were from Germany, who were part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and from other countries in Europe. So countries that people who were from countries that were at that time at war with the British Empire. In addition to the men who were interned, which is the the number that you mentioned earlier, approximately 8,600 people, mm-hmm. there were also 150 children and 80 women right. interned. So when people come to the museum, they will see kind of a two-part exhibit, really. The first part is a traveling exhibit that was created by the Canadian War Museum in partnership with the Ukrainian-Canadian Civil Liberties Foundation. Mm -hmm. And we've added to that a section about the experiences of people who were interned in Nanaimo and people who were deemed enemy aliens, but weren't necessarily interned. Oh, that's interesting as a particular personal interest to me, because I think my great uncle might have ended up here in Nanaimo, but we don't know anything. I found out about this in a casual conversation with my dad. Um, You know, it just, he threw it away just, you know, when Uncle Harry went off to the camps and blah, blah. And I said, Dad, whoa, let's rewind here. What did you just say? And uh, he's, yeah, you said Uncle Harry went to the camps and he said, yeah, and they took him to Brandon and then he went to BC and he talked about how tall the trees were in BC. Uh, and, uh, as we were, you know, they homesteaded on a farm in Saskatchewan. And so that's all I know. Um, I did do some, a little bit of digging, found out that he had been, um, there were some family archives that talked a little bit about how he came to Canada in 1914, wanted to be a trumpeter, joined the army and then was discharged. That's all I know. So where did you find the documentation of those that were here? Well, thank you for sharing. To start with, that's such a powerful story. And we hear that story Mm. time and time again here at the museum and Mm. come across it in our research. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why we come across stories like that, uh, where families say, we have this story within our family that, you know, this ancestor or this other family member were in turn, but we don't have any documentation and we'd like to learn more about it. And Mm. we're having a hard time doing that. And the reason for that, uh, well, there's a few reasons, but the main one is in 1954, the Canadian government destroyed many of its records okay. connected to First World War internment operations, which okay. you might have encountered. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so that obviously creates problems for family members who are trying to learn their story mm-hmm. um, because there aren't the government records to help fill in the blank. Right, right. Yeah. 
what we ended up doing, because in our exhibit here at the Nanaimo Museum, in the local section, it was really important to us because those personal stories are harder to come by because those documents aren't there. Mm -hmm. We still really wanted to tell the story of people because these are experiences that are happening in community and who are the people who Mm -hmm. were interned and what do we know about how that affected them? Mm -hmm. And we know that there was a family interned in the Nanaimo internment camp. A family? There was a family here? family, yes. Wow, wow. Frederick and Hilda Coase. Um, they were from, they lived in Victoria. Frederick Coase was from Germany. He emigrated here in 1906. He worked as a boat builder with his brother in Victoria. His wife was um, from England, so she was a, a British subject. And their son, Fred, was born just a couple of months before the start of the war. And according to their family story, that when Hilda's husband, um, Frederick Coase, was interned, she made the difficult decision of going with him because she had this small baby that she needed to take care of. Mm. And so I, we can only imagine the, the duress that a person would be under to make a decision like that. Mm. Um, so she joined him in the internment camp in Nanaimo. Did they end up in Vernon? After Nanaimo? They did. Okay. Yes, they did. So the internment camp in Nanaimo opened in September 1914. For people who are familiar with Nanaimo, it was in a former provincial jail building that was on Stewart Avenue. Okay. And Stewart Avenue is a very main roadway today. Right. And the camp was enclosed with a 14-foot wall. Um, logs, lumber, and heavy wire were around it. And... One of the internees who escaped, uh, his name was John Wooler, he described the camps as, that camp specifically in Nanaimo, as unsanitary, poorly ventilated, crowded, and the food unfit for human consumption. Oh, dear. Wow. It's incredible. He also described how the guards mistreated internees and that there was a solitary confinement cell that was referred to as the black hole. Oh, wow. So that facility in Nanaimo operated for a year. It closed in September 1915, and the people who were in that camp were transferred to other facilities in BC, and quite a few of them ended up in Vernon, um, which had its own internment camp, and that's where the Coast family went. Right. Where did you find the... the documentation, the information that you've, that you've been able to add here in Nanaimo, the local addition to the exhibit? We have been working on research for the Nanaimo internment camp and the experiences of people in Nanaimo probably since 2015. So we've oh. been slowly piecing the information together from mm-hmm. all sorts of different sources. So um, with the internment camp, we know where it was located because there's a fire insurance map from the same time period in the Nanaimo archives. Oh. The experiences of the that I just mentioned that John Woolert described, that's from a newspaper article in Seattle from um, around 1915. So all sorts of sources trying to piece together what we can of of the people who were there and what their experiences were. Wow, tedious work and uh, it required a lot of digging. Thank you for doing that. What a fascinating story it must be. It is. And I think it's really interesting you know, to to see the human stories in yeah. this uh, historical injustice. But I also have a lot of empathy for the families who are trying to research this topic and trying to learn more about how their families were affected and don't necessarily have the resources and experience in researching that the museum has to be able to undertake this on their own. So um, I can appreciate that it's a really daunting task for families to try and pull these stories together. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. So where is the museum located? The museum is located inside the Vancouver Island Conference Center on Commercial Street in downtown Nanaimo. And we're open Tuesday to Saturday from 10 till 4. Is there admission? Right now, admission is by donation. Oh, okay. Um, That's great. Um, So 
the local angle you said you were you were piecing together all this information since since 2015 obviously working in co- uh, collaboration with the uh, Canadian First World War Internment Recognition Fund that's uh, located in I think Winnipeg now Yes, their website has so many incredible resources on it. I definitely recommend people who are wanting to learn more about this topic or who are wanting to do research on their own family's experiences. That is a place to take a look for sure. Okay. Okay. So um, one last question, Amy. Uh, Do you see this as having any present-day relevance, the, we are seeing a war in Ukraine, and there will be refugees. The uh, Canadian government is offering to bring in refugees into Canada. Do you see that this uh, exhibit today can can help to prevent mistakes of the past being repeated? I mean, obviously, there won't be any, anybody in an internment camp, but you've got strange people, you know, strange, I mean, from a different culture coming into Canada in, in large mm-hmm. numbers, unexpectedly. And at that time, um, they were the, the culture was foreign. I mean, it's a little different now because, you know, we've had multiculturalism for quite a while, and, you know, people are a little more accustomed to having different cultures um, than they were 100 years ago. But uh, still, there is the kind of the shock factor of all this influx of new people. Do you do you see that, you know, the exhibit can make some positive changes? I hope so. One of the parts of the exhibit that I'm really hoping that people who visit take away from is that we've added a couple of discussion questions in there that we hope will get people reflecting on Mm -hmm. this, not just as a historic event, but as something that has implications today. And so the question is Mm -hmm. something like, do you think that internment could happen today in Canada? And those are really important questions for people to be having. Mm -hmm. One of the big misconceptions that I hear when I talk to people about First World War internment, number one, a lot of people in Canada aren't aware of this period of Canadian history. So that's one element to to know our history. But the other piece is that there is a a misconception that all of these events happen because of wartime fear and that because of that, they were justified. And that's not what the research shows. The research shows that in there, that certainly could have been an element of it. I'll be very clear that my experience has been in researching very specifically British Columbia and Nanaimo. So I can speak less to what was going on outside of British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we do know is that in British Columbia in 1915, so the year after the First World War started, William Bowser, who was the acting premier and attorney general, He was a very powerful voice for internment, and he ordered the B.C. Provincial Police in May of 1915 to arrest coal miners from Ladysmith and Nanaimo, approximately 115 of them, and have them interned. Very specifically targeted coal miners because he wanted to, and he made public announcements about this, he wanted to hire British miners in their places. So there's a lot of a lot of layers happening to the story and it's not as cut and dry as it might seem at first glance. Right, right. It also, there was indentured, basically, slavery, like slave labor involved in, in, yes. the, inter- in forced, the internment. Forced labor, yeah. That's right, yeah. There's forced labor happening in the camps. That's uh, another element that the uh, exhibit looks at. Um, very specifically, parts of forced labor camps that help build really well-known Canadian national parks Mm -hmm. like Banff and Revelstoke. So there's those pieces as well. So places that we, you know, might see as great sources of pride as Canadians, these beautiful natural locations, they were made accessible as parks by forced labor from First World War internment camps. Yeah, yeah. So lots of, of history at this exhibit then, and uh, surprises, I'm sure. Um, probably mostly unpleasant, but, you know, really good to know, thought-provoking, and um, look forward to seeing it myself. Uh, tell us again, Amy, where the museum is located and what the hours are. Yes, the museum is located in downtown Nanaimo on Commercial Street. We're in the Vancouver Island Conference Centre 
and we're open Tuesday to Saturday from 10 until 4 p.m. Okay, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Amy. Uh, is there any um, anything else you'd like to uh, to mention that listeners should should know? There are two commemorative cairns in Nanaimo for the First World War internment. One of them is on the waterfront walkway right near where the Nanaimo internment camp was located. Mm -hmm. It was installed in 1997 and had a plaque added to it in 2014, which was marking the 100th uh, anniversary of the start of World War One and right. also of internment. Right. And the same 2014 commemorative plaque was installed at St. Michael the Archangel Ukrainian Catholic Church in Nanaimo. Right. So if people aren't able to get to the museum before the exhibit closes or aren't in the area, uh, but they are visiting Nanaimo, those are two places that you could go and um, connect with this story. The exhibit is open until Saturday, May the 21st. Okay. And open from Tuesday to Saturday. And uh, information, um, if in case people weren't jotting this down, is there a website or some other um, some other way to reach you? Yes, our we have all the information about the exhibit and our hours at our website, which is nanaimomuseum.ca, and we also have social media posts about the history of First World War internment happening throughout the run of the exhibit. So you could oh, go great. see the museum on Facebook or on Twitter and learn a little bit more about First World War internment. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for sharing all this information and I hope to see you at the museum uh, before May 21st. Yes, I hope so. It'll be great to meet in person. Okay, thank you so much, Amy. Thank you. Early Bird Weekend Passes for Canada's National Ukrainian Festival 2022 are now available for only $110. Don't miss the very best in Ukrainian culture, food, music, and dancing on August Long Weekend in Dauphin, Manitoba. Visit Canada's National Ukrainian Festival on Facebook for featured entertainment. For only $110, Early Bird Weekend Passes are now available for Canada's National Ukrainian Festival 2022 in Dauphin, Manitoba. By phone at 204-622-4600 or online at cnuf.ca. Welcome to Knishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik, Ukrainian stories in English. In this edition of Knishka Corner, we will be discussing The Battle for Ukrainian, a comparative perspective, edited by Michael S. Flyer and Andrea Graziosi. The Battle for Ukrainian, a comparative perspective, published by the Ukrainian Research Institute at Harvard University, outlines the difficult history of the Ukrainian language. In June 2014, the Harvard Ukrainian Research Institute organized a conference to commemorate the 150th anniversary of the 1863 Valuev Circular, which repressed the use of Ukrainian in the Russian Empire. This volume is a compilation of the conference papers dealing with the linguistics, history, and politics of the Ukrainian language question. Little did the conference organizers know, but in the very same year of 2014, Russia would once again violate Ukraine's right to exist by annexing Crimea and supporting an insurgency in eastern Ukraine. In 2022, in 2022, Russia would use Russian language rights as an excuse to invade Ukraine. In the introduction, the editors provide an overview of the history of the battle for Ukrainian, the value of circular of 1863, and the more brutal Ems decree of 1876 were the tools used by the Imperial Russian government to destroy Ukrainian language evolution. The Russian Ministry of Internal Affairs was headed by Petr Valuev. His goal was to contain Ukrainian literature, to prevent its expansion, and to deny the common people access to Ukrainian literature. He believed that Ukrainian activists could use the increasing prominence of the Ukrainian language 
as a symbolic flag representing an independent Ukraine of the future. These decrees may have slowed the development of Ukrainian publications, but they were not destroyed. Meanwhile, in the western part of Ukraine, under the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Ruthenian or the Prostamova of the common people was permitted in schools and local government, while Polish and German dominated higher education. New Ukrainian writers were also starting to speak out, such as Taras Shevchenko, Lasha Ukrainka, and Ivan Franko. During the Soviet era, the Ukrainian National Republic of 1918-19 spurred on the further development of the Ukrainian language. This progress ended with Stalin's brutal collectivization and the Holodomor of the 1930s. This was a campaign to destroy the Ukrainian intellectual elite and to russify the nation. It was not until 1989 that the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic passed a law which made Ukrainian the official state language. However, Russian continued to dominate as a language of commerce. Despite the revival of the Ukrainian language during the Orange Revolution, Viktor Yanukovych passed a law to elevate Russian to official language status once again. His removal from office in 2014 marked a return to Ukrainian as the only official language. In the same year, Vladimir Putin declared that he wanted to protect Russian-speaking Ukrainians by annexing Crimea and invading Donetsk and Luhansk in eastern Ukraine. Subsequent chapters written by linguists, historians, literary specialists, and political scientists outline the development of the Ukrainian language. There are articles about the Russian Empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Russian Revolution, the World Wars, the post-war Soviet era, the Orange Revolution, and modern-day Ukraine. The case studies of language politics in Canada, India, and the former Yugoslavia all provide perspective on how languages can impact culture and identity through their growth or repression. All of the experts share a common focus on the importance of Ukrainian ethnic and cultural identity, distinguishing itself from the multiple imperial settings in which it was placed, whether in the Polish and Austrian Catholic West, the Russian Orthodox East, or the Ottoman Muslim South. This book will appeal to a variety of readers interested in Ukraine's history, comparative linguistics, international politics, and Russian aggression. The dense but well-written articles are thoroughly researched. Academics will appreciate the detailed footnotes. The battle for Ukrainian has been a struggle against various imperial oppressors who sought to suppress the cultural aspirations of the Ukrainian people. It is ironic that Russia invaded Ukraine in 2022 under the false pretext that Ukraine's Russian-speaking citizens were being denied their language rights. In this book, readers will discover that Russia forcefully denied Ukrainians their language rights for hundreds of years. Democracy is too high an ideal to be dependent on linguistic determinism. People speaking different languages should be able to live together while being loyal to one state. Michael S. Flyer is the Alexander Potabnya Professor of Ukrainian Philology at Harvard University. He teaches courses on Slavic linguistics and culture. He has a PhD in linguistics from the University of California at Berkeley. He has published numerous articles on Slavic linguistics and culture. Andrea Graziosi is Professor of Modern History at the University of Naples, Federico II, and a past president of the Italian Society for the Study of Contemporary History. He is a fellow of Harvard's Ukrainian Research Institute and the Davis Center for Russian and Eurasian Studies. His fields of expertise include the Holodomor and modern history. 
In these turbulent times, the battle for Ukrainian has a powerful message for the international community about the importance of the Ukrainian language. A language is not only a means of communication, it is a collective identity. The Battle for Ukrainian, a Comparative Perspective, is available at Amazon and Harvard University Press. Thanks, Myra. Join us again soon for another edition of Kanishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik, here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Нагадую, ви слухаєте радіопрограму «Наш голос» радіо Кринського Кориня на багатомовній радіостанції АМ 1320 CHMB у місті Венкувері. Ми вже скінчили нашу програму, ми майже скінчили нашу програму, але перед закінченням я хочу залишити вас такими словами мудрості. Свобода будується на єдності. And our proverb of the week translates as «Freedom is built on unity». And that brings us to the end of another edition of Nash Hollis Ukrainian Roots Radio here on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver. In between broadcasts, make sure to visit us online, www.nashholos.com, and keep in touch with us there or via our Facebook page. And if you haven't been listening to recent editions of Nash Hollis, I urge you to listen to the podcast because there have been some... Uh, very urgent messages uh, from people who are in Ukraine under siege right now under attack as well as those who are trying to help them. So do check out our podcast feed and you can find our podcast link at www.nasholos.com. With that, I will leave you with Vova Heiser and a group called Shabla in concert with orchestras of law enforcement agencies of the Armed Forces of Ukraine. And this is a song that has received a lot of airtime here on Nasholos. It is called Bratya Ukrainci. It is more than a patriotic song. It has become the anthem of the defense of Ukraine. I'm Pavlina on behalf of all of us here at Nasholos and AM 1320. Thanks for listening and Dobranich. На сцені зведений духовий оркестр Збройних сил України. Головний військовий диригент, народний артист України Володимир Дашковський. Соліст, автор пісні «Браття українці», лідер гурту «Шабля» Вова Гейзер. Любі мої діти, мила мамо й тату, я йду на віноньку нашу землю захищати. Не плачте за мною, якщо в полі згину, все вітав за любоненьку нашу Україну. Єдинаємося, браття, всю лиху годину, нехай ворог знає, ми за Україну. Богу душу нашу віддамо єдину, за нашу землю, Священну Україну, Богу душу нашу, віддамо єдину, за нашу землю, священну Україну. Nothing is
Якщо болі згину, Це віддам за любовненьку нашу Україну. Не плачте за мною, Якщо болі згину, Це віддам за любовненьку мою Україну. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.